You're listening to the Passion Daily Podcast, part of the Passion Podcast Network. When Jesus talks about a good Samaritan, that's, that's not what he means. It's not just like a nice thing done for a stranger uh, out of the kindness of their heart. And in fact, the purpose of the story originally wasn't to inspire this guy. It was to enlighten this guy, to put a mirror up to this guy, to show him. The point of the story was to show him, you're no good Samaritan. You're, you're not as good as you think you are. And the man was a lawyer. That's what the text called him, a teacher of the law which is not so much like the defense attorney who helps you in a trial that you're in before a judge. This is a religious figure. He was an expert, uh, a seminary teacher. He was someone who, who knew better than anybody what someone had to do to inherit eternal life. And he spent his entire day and night every day thinking about and trying to live out what, what does God require of us? What does one have to do to achieve wholeness? What does someone have to do for God to be pleased with them? What does someone have to do to, to take part in the resurrection? How do we get to heaven? That's what this guy spent his, his life doing. And that's why he came to trap Jesus. That's how another translation puts it. I had you underline the word test. Uh, many other translations say trap. He came to trap Jesus, to trick Jesus. He and the rest of his colleagues heard Jesus preaching this message of the kingdom, this easy believism as they saw it, this loosey-goosey, doesn't matter if you're a prostitute, doesn't matter if you're a tax collector, doesn't matter what you do, if you just believe in Jesus, eat his flesh and drink his blood, whatever that means. Look at the, the, the Son of Man lifted up on the cross like Moses lifted up the serpent. Didn't have to keep all the laws, didn't have to fast and pray twice a day like they did, didn't have to be, you know, too sexy for their shirt, religious speaking, religiously speaking. All you had to do is believe in Jesus and you could be forgiven. And they were just nauseated by this message of grace that Jesus preached. Nauseated because the gospel doesn't allow you to be the hero of the story. The gospel always puts Jesus in the role of Superman and you are always, you and I are always in the role of damsel in distress. He's the one who swoops in and save us. He was the one who does all the heavy lifting and, and they didn't like that. They wanted to earn their keep. They wanted to be able to do something, to be proud of it, to live such a holy life that God has to look on from heaven and go, well done, I choose you. You are so good. I'm so lucky to have you on my team. And, and, and so they wanted a sort of religious experience that allowed them to puff up their chest and, and shine uh, their, 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 their merit badges. And so they did not like this. And that's why this dude thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show Jesus a thing or two, right? FYI, he's in big trouble. A man came to test Jesus. It's like, oh boy, this is not going to end well. And so it's a battle of wits. And they're trying to figure out who's got the poison in their glass. It's Princess Bride style, right? I know something you don't know. I am not left-handed. So this guy says, how do you inherit eternal life? Thinking that Jesus would say, well, all you have to do is believe in me. That's how you can inherit eternal life. At which point this man plan to spring the trap on Jesus and bash him over the head with the Ten Commandments and point out 25 ways from Sunday how the law and Moses validated what he said and not what Jesus said. 
which of course was not going to work. So Jesus hearing the question, how do I inherit eternal life? All he did was say to the guy, I don't know, what's the law say? At which point the guy's like, you can't use Moses. Moses is my star witness. And, and so now he's on his, his heels and he's like, uh, <laughs> I wasn't preparing that, prepared for that. So he goes, uh, well, you got to love God with all your heart and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. So to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah, of course, if you, if you could do that, then yeah, you would inherit eternal life. Love God perfectly and love your neighbor as yourself. Do, he, Jesus said then, I love it. You have to see it. He said, um, do this and you will live. Verse 28. If you can do that, you will live, which of course is like a backhanded compliment because there's a barb inside of it. And Jesus saying, do this and you will live. He's insinuating that the man has not done that. If you could love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself, then yes, you would be justified before God. Of course, you have not done that and no one is capable of doing that. So it got awkward. Jesus says, do that and you will live. And the guy goes, now, what exactly is a neighbor? Right? Like none of us really know. Like it's a super nebulous thing. Who is my neighbor? Like when you say neighbor, you don't mean like everybody. Who, who, who do I have to love like I love me? Because there ain't nobody that we love so much as we love some me. And so Jesus responds to that question that the man had asked him, who is my neighbor with a Socratic, a Socratic method style argument? He answers his, his question with a question and then a story, and then he'll end it with another question. And so what he does in this famous story, the, one of the greatest stories ever, ever written, was he now is going to use this story to show the man, here we go, you're no good Samaritan. But instead, he lets the man find himself in the story when he says there was a guy, presumably a Jewish man, who was heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, most likely the man lived in the Jericho region, kind of a palm tree area, nice and cool. And he had gone to Jerusalem to worship or on a business trip. But coming back home, he was attacked by robbers. Now, this particular stretch of road, everybody, as they heard the story, was like right there. Like a, when they heard him say a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, I'm sure they were all thinking in their minds, hopefully he was not alone. Hopefully he was not unarmed. Hopefully it was too late of night because this place was dangerous. It was known to be a place where you would get mugged, where you would get, you know, cart camel jacked, right? And, and, and so uh, 17 miles was how long the road was. And it was so notorious as being a bad part of town that this stretch was nicknamed the way of blood. And he says, not only was the man robbed, but they beat him and left him half dead lying on the ground. But fortunately, as it happened, and Jesus says this, no doubt with a twinkle in his eye, right? Oh, now you believe in luck, Jesus, right? Fortunately, it happened uh, to be that a priest came by, right? It's like every joke you've ever heard. So the priest walks into the bar after the guy gets mugged and, uh, and sees the man. And of course, a priest would be the number one most likely person to help out in this situation. There's a Jewish man lying there, struggling to breathe. He's in danger. A priest, a man who represents God, a man who's supposed to be known for compassion, 
He's coming along the same way. No doubt has just finished a whole course serving as, as a priest in the temple. And, and so full of heavenly thoughts, no doubt this man would have sprung to his, his aid. Only the text says, the priest seeing the man went to the other side of the path. Now, I've, I've seen this path. I've walked this path. It is not a wide path. It is a very narrow, serpentine-type path. And, and so for the priest to avoid the man, he would have had to go out, like stepping over the man to get out of there as quickly as he could. And then a Levite, the worship leader, so Christian Stanfield passes by, and, 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 a, and, a, and a Christian wouldn't have, he would have helped, the, he would have had a first aid kit, he did put the guy on his shoulder, he would, have, he would have carried him for sure, but the Levite did not do this. The Levite got out of there as well. Now, both the Levite and the priest literally were God's hands and feet for benevolence. As people, as they would bring their tithes and bring offerings to the temple, they would steward over and fund, manage the fund that would help people. And so they were literally like the best shot. There's no one more likely to help than these two men who both by nationality and by profession were obligated to help. But they did nothing. And I'm sure they had a million reasons why. We've been serving God. Now we need to get home to our families. Or if we stay around, this, this might, the robbers might be, it might be a trap. They might've left this guy here so that someone would come to help him. And while we're helping him, they'll come out, they'll get us to you. If we die, look, who's gonna serve God in the temple? So it's, it's in the greater good that we don't help this guy. We gotta, we gotta get home. And, and so they did, they did nothing. But Jesus says, and this is where it starts to twist. Then a Samaritan came down. Now the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And there was intense rivalry and intense, you know, we're better than you. Even though they before, long before, were, were from the same family. It was a split off and, and a feud. And, and the, the Samaritans said you're supposed to worship this way. And the Jews said you're supposed to worship that way. And so they just really hated each other. And, uh, and this man coming down, it would have been for everyone hearing the story, like, oh gosh, a Samaritan. What is he doing there? Uh, in, in the Jewish prayers, there were different prayers you would pray every day. This became a part of their tradition. There were certain prayers you would pray. And a normal Jewish man in this time would have included something uh, along the lines of, and I thank you, God, that there will be no Samaritans in the resurrection. And that would have been a, a normative part of their prayer life. I, it's difficult to even help you understand how much Jews and Samaritans disliked each other. Even Jesus' own disciples didn't like the Samaritans. And they were always confused because Jesus would just go to Samaria and minister to people and, and stay there. And, you know, he, in John 4, met this woman by the well in Samaria, defying cultural uh, bigotry as well as uh, gender stereotypes and, and, uh, and sexism. And he would just minister to people, didn't care where they were from. Of course, he's building a, a church from every tribe and every tongue and every language. And so the, Jews, the disciples were always confounded by this. One of my favorite examples is just in the chapter prior. So this is Luke 10. We're reading this story. In chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus sent the disciples to go to Samaria and get ready a place for him to stay. He goes, I want to stay there on my way to Jerusalem. Get, get me a place. Get, let's find a hotel and, and do it. And they went 
and no one would rent a room for Jesus. No one would, would rent them a space for him to stay. So they came back to Jesus and they said, hey, we couldn't get any caterers to get food for us. No one would take our money. They don't want us in Samaria. And here's their response. This is James and John. So not just disciples, like two of like the top three disciples of them all. Luke 9, 54, they said, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them? That'd be good. And Jesus said in the next verse, of course not. I actually, uh, I don't, I don't want you to do that at all because the son of man did not come to take life, but to give life. But that at least helps you get a picture of the divide here. And so after the priest passes by and the Levite passes by, the Samaritan comes. And the Samaritan did three things that I want you to take note of. This is how we change the world. He took notice, took pity, and he took action. Thanks again for listening to the Passion Daily Podcast. And don't forget to go and subscribe to the Passion City Church and Passion City Church DC podcasts for our full messages every week.